All right, it's time to read scripture and then pray and then dive into the sermon. We are in the book of Deuteronomy today, reading chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. This is God's word. Please open your heart to it. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hezeroth, and Dezahab. It is 11 days journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In the 40th year, after the Exodus that is, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. After he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and in Edrei. Beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowland and in the Negev and by the sea coast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. This is the word of God. Let's bow and pray together. Father, thank you for this time where we may gather and worship you. And now we turn from our song and our baptisms. We turn to your word and pray that you would send the Holy Spirit into every heart in this room, that we would be receptive and open to your word, that we may give heed to the meaning of the text that we're about to, to dig into. We pray, Father, that this may be a day of salvation for those who are strangers to the grace of God found in Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would sanctify and build up believers, making us strong in the Lord Jesus. We ask all in the name of Christ. Amen. All right, so here's what we're doing in Deuteronomy. This is week three. Week one was a general intro to the book, kind of flew over the whole book in one message. Week two happened to be a baby dedication. So we jumped ahead to Deuteronomy chapter six and uh, did the parents and children thing that's there. Now it's week three, and now we're going back to Deuteronomy 1.1. This is where it would have started, maybe. This is what we would have had instead of chapter six the other week. And there's a lot in this opening chapter, chapter, so we're going to spend a little bit of time in this chapter, but I want to let you know there's, I think if I remember, it's four, 34, uh, 34 chapters in the book, and I don't want you to think they're going to take as long as we take in chapter one, all right? So fear not. What we're going to do is take a, take a good part and spend a while there, and then fly over some, and then land in another part that, oh, we really want to stop there, then fly over some and go like that. So we're not going to be forever in the book of Deuteronomy. But today we're looking primarily at chapter 1 and then at things that are implied by it and other parts of the book that line up with chapter 1 and verse 1, verse 1 in particular. Let's look at Deuteronomy 1, 1 again. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan and the wilderness in the Arabah opposite big name, big name, big name, and big name. 
So this sermon is about the place that the actual words of the Bible have in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, in your life. This is about you and God and these words. Moses is referring to, one one is referring to the words of Deuteronomy. By extension, it's the whole book, the 66 books of the Old and New Testament given by inspiration of God. This sermon is about you and those words. My hope in this sermon is that we would solidify, that we would strengthen your relationship to these words, your involvement with these words, your love for these words. This sermon is about you and your mind and your heart and God and these words. Becoming a Christian starts with these words. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. You've got to hear or read or somehow be exposed to the gospel, God's word, if you're going to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Becoming a Christian, again, starts with you and these words. Paul says, how will they believe if they don't hear? And how will they hear if nobody preaches? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of good tidings. So it's you and the words. We're about you and the words. That's where the Christian life starts. And living as a Christian continues with you and these words. The words are there to sanctify you. The words are there to conform you to the image of Christ. The words are there to direct you and shape you and mold you. And so again, this sermon is about you and these words. Let me read the opening of verse 1 again. These are the words that Moses spoke. So let me put up an assertion. Next slide, please. The text, you'll note is asserting that these, Deuteronomy, are the actual words that Moses spoke. That's the clear statement given to us in 1-1. These are the words that Moses spoke. So if you think about who Moses was, he was like the quintessential man of God in the Old Testament. None was greater than him than John the Baptist, who got to be the forerunner to Christ. But Moses, was, he was the man. He was the Old Testament man. He's the one with whom God met face to face. Amazing man, Moses. And these are his actual words. It's, it's, oh, let's see, it's 1406 B.C. when Moses is speaking these words. So we're over 3,000 years ago. It's amazing just to think we hold in our laps words from 3,000 years ago from the man of God. But these are the words that Moses spoke. In other words, to turn that assertion that I put up there around, this is not some later author pretending to be Moses. This is not pseudo-Moses, not phony Moses, not fake Moses. These are the words the actual words that Moses, the actual man of God, spoke. Now, let me tell you something very important based on that. It is orthodox to believe that, and it is heterodox not to believe that. Let's go one worse than heterodox. It is heresy. The Bible is asserting that these are the actual words that Moses spoke, 
But there are plenty of people. There is no shortage of people. Some of them scholars, some of them with PhDs. I dig PhDs, nothing against PhDs. But you can have a PhD to say anything you want them to nowadays. And there are plenty of them, no shortage of them, who will tell you, those aren't really the words of Moses. We're scholars, and we have been able to figure out that actually this was some pseudo-Moses, or this was J, or E, or D, or P, or this was somebody else, but Moses didn't write this. So the Bible says these are the words that Moses spoke. But of course, the devil, the tempter, the serpent of old, wants you to doubt that. Here's his version of verse 1. This is the devil's version of Deuteronomy 1.1. He says, the Bible claims that these are the words of Moses, but we've figured out they aren't really the words of Moses. Yes, the Bible is a fraud. The Bible makes assertions that are false. You can't even believe the Bible when the Bible tells you who wrote the thing. That's how Satan would start you off in Deuteronomy 1.1. But God's first sentence is, these are the words. Please, by the Holy Spirit, please, by the grace of God, please believe that these are the words. As soon as you start not believing these are the words, as soon as you start thinking, hmm, maybe these aren't really the words, hmm, maybe the Bible isn't really telling me the truth, you're just, you've just lost your Bible. And I'll tell you what's going to happen in this day. In a different day, it would be different. But in this day, you will very quickly become LGBTQ+. You will very quickly become gender, 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 gender. And you will be very quickly become all the rest because you've pulled up your anchor away from the words. Because you've stopped standing on a simple sentence like, these are the words that Moses spoke. Tell me if you believe that, and I can tell you a whole lot about your theology, your doctrine, your faith, and your eternity. These are the words that Moses spoke. Please receive that as truth. Please receive these words with fear and trembling. You remember Pastor Wallace preached for us a sermon last week? It's a great sermon. I really liked his sermon last week. And he gave us the Wallace definition of fear and trembling. Special points, extra points for anybody who can tell me. What was the Wallace definition of fear and trembling? Dead serious. Dead serious. Who said that? Who got it? That's exactly right. Thank you, Patrick, the drummer last week. So, Please, by the grace of God, please, by the Holy Spirit, please be dead serious about these are the words that Moses spoke. Hang on to your Bible. Hang on to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hang on to faith and godliness. Hang on to the gospel. Hang on to these words. Now, many, many times in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses brings our attention to these words. Many times he uses that phrase. And so we're going to visit some more of that because I really want you to get a big dose of these are the words. So let's go down to just verse 3, Deuteronomy 1 and verse 3. In the 40th year, again after the Exodus, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel. Now note this according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. So not only are these the words of Moses, but these, are the word, these words of Moses are according to all that the Lord had given him 
and commandment to them. In other words, these are the words of Moses, but they're not just the words of Moses. They're according to God's truth. In fact, as Moses wrote them, they became the word of God, inspired, exhaled. All scripture is breathed out by God. As they were inscripturated, they were the word of God. And as Moses spoke them as a prophet, they were the word of God. In fact, in Deuteronomy, we have two things that go on. I think this will be simple enough. I hope, hope I can make this clear and easy. So you have some places in the book where Moses is quoting God. God said, and then you get God's exact words. And other places you get Moses expounding the law and teaching the will of God, but not directly quoting God. But in those cases, you are still getting God's word. It's God's word directed. It's God's word mediated through a man of God's choosing. In either case, it's God's word. And so God's first sentence here in this word, in this book is, these are the words that Moses spoke. That's God telling you that. That's God's word. You don't believe that? I know a lot about you now. I know what's going on. I know where you're headed. I know what you're going to fall into. I know what you're going to believe. And unfortunately, I know where you'll be at the last day unless you come to Jesus Christ and his word. This is all according to what the Lord had given him. Another one, let's drop down to Deuteronomy 1.5. We're staying with this theme of the words in the whole sermon. This happened beyond the Jordan. So now picture yourself in the land, and you're pointing back out beyond the Jordan in the land of Moab. Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, and then three dots, the ellipsis. So what's Moses doing? These are the words. They're according to all that the Lord had given him, and he's explaining the law. The law was given in the book of Exodus. The law was given to the first generation whose dead bodies dropped in the wilderness because they were in unbelief. Now Moses is explaining the law to the second generation. That's what we have in Deuteronomy. So we have God gives his word to Moses. Moses explains and expounds the word to the people. By the way, that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing in New Testament churches. God gives us his word, and the man of God, if you will, the preachers, the pastors, the teachers, are supposed to do this. 1 Timothy 4, 13 and 14. Paul says to Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching or doctrine. In other words, if I may put them in slightly different order, Timothy, here's what you and every pastor is supposed to do. The word of God tells me what I'm supposed to do as a pastor. Here's what I'm supposed to do. You're supposed to gather the people and read them the word of God and explain to them the meaning of the word of God and apply, apply to exhortation, apply the word to them. Week after week, and this says, till I come, Paul wrote that, but we could make it till Jesus comes. This is what we're supposed to be doing, and this is what you need to demand of us. These are the words. The words are so holy. The words are so pure. The words are so important in your life that there's a warning attached to the words. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and look at verse 2. Here's what, here's what God says. You shall not add to the word that I command you. Don't add anything to word of God. 
Don't say, oh, I think the Bible's lacking something here. Let's add this. No, no human additions. Don't add to the word that I command you, nor take from it. That's what's more popularly done in our day. People might say, I like Jesus. I like the Bible. I don't like this part. Where's my exacto knife? Cut out that part. That's better. Now I like the Bible more. Oh, wait a minute. I don't like this part. Cut out that. And the part is always whatever's brewing in the culture at that time. Always. Different era, different issues brewing in the culture. Right now, what they're going to cut out, of course, is going to be, I don't like the gender stuff. That there's only two genders in the Bible. That's oppressive. And it's going to be, there, there's, LGBT, there's no LGBTQ plus in the Bible. And I, I must have my LGBTQ plus. By the way, do you know what the plus is? They say the plus is just open to more possibilities. No, the, the possibility is there. They just don't want to say it, in my opinion. The plus is children. Yeah, we're seeing it. That's what the plus is. They just don't want to state that overtly yet. And you'll, you'll, if you're not firmly planted in God's word, you might go there. In fact, now I'm getting off my sermon notes, so this is dangerous. But So here's the way it looks to be working, and this is no surprise. If you, if you exacto knife or twist the parts of your Bible that talk about gender differentiated commands, I want the men to do this and I want the women to do that. If you can somehow so deal with your Bible that you've worked your way around those, you've dealt with those, you've gotten them out of there somehow, then you're going to apply the same false exegetical methodology to other issues that are pressured upon you in the given culture of the given day. And so right now what happens is if you part with the Bible's gender differentiated commands, I can almost guarantee you, you're very soon going to be LGBTQ+. And then you're going to be, there's umpteen genders, and then you're going to be all the rest. It all comes from the same place. But these are the words that Moses spoke. You shall not add to the word, nor shall you take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Jesus said we're supposed to teach his disciples to do all, to do according to all that he has commanded them. And lo, he's with us in this even to the end of the age. So that's what Moses said, and that's what Jesus said. Teach my people to keep my commandments. But that's how sacred these words are. You shall not add to them. You shall not take from them. Don't turn the Bible into the smorgasbord Bible. I'll take one of those. None of that. Thank you. Don't take the Bible into the wax nose, and don't take, turn the Bible into the wax nose Bible where you can shape it and make it look any way you want to. Don't mess with the Bible. There's more about that in Deuteronomy, these words. Don't mess with these words. Deuteronomy 18. Prior to the verses we're going to look at, we'll see them later in this sermon, Lord willing, he, tells, he foretells the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, another prophet who would be like Moses. But after telling that, then he goes on to say something else about prophets, Deuteronomy 18, 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak. All right, so that's somebody who's saying, thus saith the Lord, when the Lord has not said thus. That's somebody adding to God's word. You add commands to God's word. You're a legalist. You add truth content that's not truth to God's word, and you're a philosopher, 
and a fall and a bad one. The prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods. Those are invariably the gods of a given culture. Same thing. The gods now are the LGBTQ plus gods. The gods now are the gender this and gender that gods. The prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet, well, under the old covenant, here's what was supposed to happen, shall die. So God is saying, these words are so important. These words are so holy. You don't dare add to them. You don't dare subtract to them. You don't dare get out your exacto knife. You don't dare go scripture twisting to your own destruction. And if anybody does, if any prophet mouthing false words, he should die. I don't want him in the land anymore. Verse 21, and if you say in your heart, well, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? Here's how, verse 22. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Don't be afraid of his forecast. Don't be afraid of his words. And don't be afraid of giving him the death penalty under the old covenant. So how do we know if, these are, if he's a false prophet or a true one? Well, does everything he say come true? He says come true. Do you remember a man named Harold Camping? Remember him? Harold Camping predicted that Judgment Day would occur on September 6, 1994. It did not. He recalculated and revised the date to, oh, oh, wait, I got it wrong. It's September 29, 1994. It didn't. He tripled down. Wait a minute, I got it wrong. It's October 2, 1994. It didn't. Then we had a little 11-year hiatus with Mr. Camping, but then he got the itch again. He got the prophetic itch again, and it surfaced in 2005, and he began saying the second coming is going to be May 21 in 2011, and he said, quote, the sage will be taken up, and there would follow five months of fire and brimstone and plagues on the earth with millions of people dying each day, culminating on October 21, 2011, with the final destruction of the world. You all remember that? long time ago. It didn't come. How do we know whether he was a true prophet of God? Oh, we know because nothing that man said came true. All right. So you could know, but don't add to and don't take away. The book of Revelation says that same thing. These words, these words that Moses spoke to you, these words that I command you were on the words. Listen to the book of Revelation 22, 18 and 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. You see, this is a salvation issue. Your soul is at stake. There are eternal consequences to starting to turn away and to unhinge yourself from these words. 
God will take away his share in the tree of life. God will take away his share in the holy city. Don't add to the words. Don't mess with the word. Don't take away. Today, probably the, the biggest pressure to depart from the, the word is coming from these quarters. You can't believe the Bible because the Bible is oppressive. For some people, the Bible is probably the most evil document on the planet. It's oppressive from their vantage point. It is oppressive to women. It is oppressive to multiplied, imagined genders. It is certainly oppressive to unfettered, autonomous sexual freedom. And the culture for those things is so... the. the pressure from the culture right now is so massive, is so powerful. There are lots and lots and lots, like more, I'm, I'm old, I've been around a while, more than I've ever seen. There are more people who were Christians who are now deconstructing their faith. And that's the term, deconstructing. Well, what are you doing? Well, I'm deconstructing my faith. I'm taking it apart. That's not good. I know where that ends. I can tell you where that goes. There's a whole group, and people gladly glory in this title, and they gleefully go by this title. They call themselves ex-vangelicals. There's a lot of pressure on these days. There's a lot of cultural pressure to either keep you from going to the faith. Why would you want to be a Christian? That's oppressive. Or to loosen your hold on the Lord Jesus and the gospel and his word. Why would you continue as a Christian? That's evil. That's oppressive to women. That's oppressive to people in their sexual expressions and their freedom. Why would you, why would you want to be a Christian? And for some, the Bible is the quintessential source of hate speech on this planet. For some. The Bible is evil. That's how the devil is attacking in our day. Well, in many ways, that's one. That's a big one. Remember the phrase, Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his ten thousands? The devil's slaying by the ten thousands with that one. But these are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel. More about those words. I'm going to take us to Deuteronomy chapter 5. You hanging in there with me? Y'all okay? No one, no one dropped over dead in the first service, so that's a plus. Hang in there, because I'm not the Apostle Paul, and if they do, I can't raise them up. All right? So verse 22, Deuteronomy 5, 22. These words, he's still at it. Still talking about these words, bringing your attention to these words, you and God and the words, these words. The Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire. Imagine that you were there and the Lord is speaking out of the midst of a smoking, shaking on fire mountain. It was so terrifying. They said, Moses, we don't want to ever experience that again. You go hear the words and tell us what they are and we'll do them all. They did not. The Lord spoke out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness with a loud voice, and he added no more. These words the Lord spoke, and he added no more, so don't you add more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. These words 
a summary of all of God's commandments in the ten words, the ten commandments written by the finger of God on tablets of stone deposited in the ark in Israel and kept there for safekeeping for perpetuity. More about the words in Deuteronomy 6. We were there several weeks ago. But hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Not just written on stone tablets by the finger of God and deposited in the ark, but written by the finger of God on your heart so that you have a new heart that loves these words. These words shall be on your heart. Hey, man, what's on your heart? God's words. These words. And out of the fullness of that word-drenched, that word-weighted heart, verse 7, you shall teach them these words diligently to your children and shall talk of them these words when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise and you shall bind them these words as a sign on your hand and they, these words, shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them these words on the door posts of your house and on your gates. Wow, there's a lot about these words because it comes down to you and God and his words. Your eternity is bound up with that, you and God and his words. More in chapter 8. Stay with me, please. Deuteronomy 8. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that, he had a purpose in the manna, not just to feed their bellies, why manna? That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. They were supposed to reason from manna to that. They were supposed to say, hmm, God gave us this Funny bread for our bellies. He's God. I bet he has more to give, more than just bread for my belly. He has food for my soul. I want to know his words. I want to know truth. I want to know what he has to say. I want to live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's what the manna eaters were supposed to deduce. That's where it was supposed to take them. I want to live by every word. Do you want to live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord? then you are blessed. Do you not? You need to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Now let's go to that Deuteronomy 18 part where it talks about Christ. Deuteronomy 18, 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brothers, and I will put, guess what, my words in his mouth. And he shall, guess what, speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Deuteronomy 18, 18 to 19. God says, when I send the Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to come with words. And you need to hear his words. And if you don't hear his words, it will not go well with you. How, then he gives us some more about how to know if, if you're really dealing with a prophet. How do you know you ought to listen to somebody who claims to be a prophet? 
Deuteronomy chapter 34. It's more about his words. Verse 10. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Imagine that. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel, in the sight of all Israel. They all saw him perform these amazing, amazing, incredible miracles by the power of God. So, like, if you saw Moses do all those things, and then he gave you some words, what would you think about his words? I I think his words have been authenticated to me that his words are from God. So, if instead you get some guy, his name happens to be Joseph Smith, and he says, the angel Baloni, did you catch that? The angel Baloni, it's Moroni, but it's Baloni. The angel gave me these tablets. They were buried somewhere. And was it in the mountains of New Hampshire or somewhere in New York? And, and we, I dug them up and couldn't read them, so I was given these special glasses so I can read them. And here it is. It's the Book of Mormon. And I'm like, oh, sure, I believe that. What about a prophet named Muhammad who just says, God revealed this to me? Did he ever part the Red Sea? Did he ever perform any miracles that authenticated that he was giving the word of God? No. Who do you believe? Believe the one who rose from the dead. How's that? Believe the one who performed all the miracles. How about that? The New Testament gives us a, a similar version of the same thing. 2 Corinthians 12, 12, the apostle Paul says, how can you know if I'm a true apostle? Because there were some false apostles in Corinth. Here's how you can identify a true apostle. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, meaning I didn't just do one in a corner and my mother saw it. Now, I performed signs and signs and signs and signs and more signs with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Paul says, I did that. How do we know you're from God, Paul? Well, look at what I did. You might be interested to know that the the time span in which all of the Bible was written was about 1,300 years or a little more than that, maybe 1,400 years, somewhere in there. And out of that entire time, miracles were only being performed in a very little piece of it. About 130 years of that maybe had miracles going on. Why was the rest of it not miracles? Because God was not giving fresh revelation. But whenever God is giving fresh revelation to his people, he always authenticates it by giving men power to perform amazing signs and wonders so you can know, all right, this guy's from God. I, I can believe him. Paul says, you can believe us because we perform the signs of a true apostle. By the way, we just want you to notice while we're there what this implies. So if those things are the signs of an apostle, then they're not the signs of an ordinary Christian. Most ordinary Christians are never going to perform signs and wonders. They don't need them. They're not authenticating revelation that God has not given them. So when Paul says these are the signs of a true apostle, then you can know regular rank-and-file God's people don't perform those signs. But we're still on these are the words. How do we know these are the words? Because Moses did the signs, and Paul did the signs, and others. Verse 11. 
I want to jump a little out of order to a psalm, Psalm 12 and verse 6, and read some more elsewhere in the Bible about these words. Psalm, psalm 12 and verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. No mixture of error. No falsehood stirred into the pot. The words of the Lord are pure words. How pure? Like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. It's like heat it up again. It's not pure enough yet. That was number six. I right, do it again. That's number seven. Is it pure yet? Yeah, it's pure. And the words of the Lord are like that. They're like pure words. There's no error. There's no falsehood. There's no mistakes. It's pure word of God. How do we feel about the words, you and the words? Listen to John 6, 68 and 69. People are leaving Jesus as John chapter 6. Remember, we were there a couple months ago. He's giving them some hard teaching. And they're saying, man, that's hard. Who can take this? And they're going home. They're done with Jesus. Jesus says you, to his disciples, you guys want to leave too? You going to split now? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where would we go, Lord? You have the words. That's in the soul of regenerate, blood-bought Christians. Second Thessalonians says, you receive a thing that's called the love of the truth when you come to Jesus Christ. And you wouldn't want to leave Jesus for a lot of reasons. One of them is you have the words. We love the words. We want the words. Give us the words. More about the words. Just clarifying that the New Testament is also the words. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. That's illumination. And we impart this, the apostles do, in words not taught by human wisdom. So when you read Romans, don't think, oh, these are words by human wisdom. No. When you read Galatians, don't think, oh, these are words taught by human wisdom. No. We're imparting these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but in words understood, taught by the Spirit. The very words come from the Spirit of God. The Bible is, is not an inspired document as to just its concepts, but with human words and human expressions. No, right down to the words, right down to the letters, right down to the very smallest parts of a letter. Jesus in Matthew 5.18 says, one jot or one tittle, smallest parts of the Hebrew alphabet, shall not perish until all is fulfilled. We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to spiritual people, to those who are spiritual. Almost done. Hang in there with me. A little bit more. A few more passages. Take a deep breath. You ready? Dive in with me for more. 1 Timothy 4, 6, these words. Timothy, if you put these things before the brother... You will be a good servant, a good minister of Christ Jesus. Oh, I like this. This tells me how I can be a good minister. I want to be a good minister. What do I have to do to be a good minister? Please tell me. Here it is. If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good minister. 
having been trained, it's the Greek verb, and trepo, having been brought up in, having been reared up in, having been trained in, the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. We need ministers who have been trained in the words. It's a, it's a circumstance of our time that just about anybody who has the gift of gab and a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit can plant a church and maybe grow a really big church, but he's never been trained in the words of the faith. I'm all for seminary, the ones that really believe the words. I'm all for seminary training. Don't make fun of seminary and call it cemetery. Some of them are cemeteries where they don't really believe the words. There are those. That's a cemetery. But there are seminaries where they will teach you. They will entrepo you. They will bring you up in the words. And what's a minister to do? You'll be a good minister if you put the words before them and the good doctrine that you have carefully followed. This is what pastors are supposed to do. A little more about these are the words. Hang in there. I got two more references. You've had a lot today. Blessings on you. 1 Timothy 6, 2 to 5. Paul to Timothy, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound, who I know, healthy words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is, now pause there, Paul's about to give you his take on what's going on in a person who's twisting the words. Paul's take on what's going on in a person who's exacto knifing out some of the words. See, oh, they're nice people. Well, they might be, but here's how Paul judges them. If anyone does that, he is puffed up with conceit, certainly. Cutting holes in the Bible taken away from God's word. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Paul, could you say more clearly what you mean, please? People who excise God's words, people who twist God's words. One more reference, and then I have one concluding application. Here's the final reference, 2 Timothy 1.13. Timothy, follow the pattern. The word pattern is the Greek word tupas. We get from it. Don't imagine they had typewriters. They didn't. But we get our typewriter from that ancient word. The idea is this one hits that one, and it makes an impression of itself on there. So, so follow the pattern of the sound, who do I know again, health-giving words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words. So there we are, Deuteronomy 1.1. These are the words that Moses spoke. Now, I have three or four pages of applications, but I found out in the first service, I'm not getting to them. They will come back, Lord willing. But here's one of them. One of my hopes for this entire sermon, and now part two of it sort of next week, one of my biggest hopes for the entire sermon is to put a desire in you to be more a man or woman of God's word.
to be a man or a woman who loves God's word, to be a man or a woman who has hunger and thirst for God's word. I know, I've said this before, I understand some people are readers and some people are not. Some people are doers, blessed doers. We need doers in the kingdom of God. Some people are thinkers, blessed thinkers. We need, I know there are all different, different approaches here, but most of you, if not all of you, can probably read. And I don't want to become a legalist here. I don't want to say something God didn't say. I'd get the death penalty in the Old Testament for that. So I don't want to say, there's no verse that says, you shall read your Bible for one half hour every day. I kind of wish there was that verse. I wish I could just preach that one to you and say, there, so God says it. But he doesn't say that. So I'm not going to put that on you, but here's how I am going to say this. I'm going to say, you would be really blessed if you spend daily time in God's word. And the you that results in daily time in God's word over time, that you is a very different you than the you that does not spend daily time in God's word. That's two very different yous. A church made up of people who en masse spend daily time in God's word, that's a very different church than a church whose people en masse do not spend daily time in God's word. Very different Christians, very different churches. Oh, please, Cornerstone people, let us be people who love the word and love it enough that, you know what, this is not, I'm not legalistic about this either. This is not a verse in the Bible, but you would, it would be worth your while to get up a half hour earlier to spend some time in God's word. So I don't have any time, I'm really busy. Well, we all make time for the things we want to. And you probably wouldn't die getting up a half hour early if that's the only time you can fit it in to spend some good quality time in God's word. The hard part for me is I, I need to get to work in the morning. Well, I'm sitting at my desk and first I have my devotional time and I read Old Testament portions and read New Testament portions, have some prayer time and so on. And so I read the Old Testament portion and then it's so good, I can't stop. Do I have any comrades? It's so good, you just can't stop. Like I just keep reading and reading and I, gotta st I need to get to work, man. People are texting me, <laughs> emails are lighting up. I'm not gonna answer them till afternoon anyway. But, but uh, it's hard to stop. And then I go to my New Testament portion. Oh man, it's so good. It's hard to stop. Oh, may you be a person who treasures the words, the word of God in your soul. So let's bow and pray together. Father, thank you for this time in your word. May it bear much fruit in our lives and may we be individuals who as followers of Christ hang on his words, cling to his words, love his words. Oh Lord, make us more a people who, make us more a church of people who cling to your holy word. Lord Jesus, you prayed to the Father, sanctify them by truth, by the truth, thy word is truth. O Lord, sanctify us by your word, by your truth. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen.
Would you like to speak with a Cornerstone pastor? One of our pastors would love to speak with you. How can we make that happen? Here's an easy way. Just text the word pastor to the number on the screen and one of our guys will be reaching out to you very quickly. Stan. Thank you, Steve. Faithful proclamation of the word of God. And oh, may it be that we would be like the psalmist. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation day and night. And good afternoon, everyone. As we continue our worship, we're going to come to the table of the Lord. Jesus said, God is spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And I pray that as we come to this table, that would be our disposition of mind. An old Puritan named John Wilson had this to say about communion. When we read or hear his word, receive the sacrament, or celebrate any other ordinance, let us do it with the heart. One grain of heart service is of more account with him than mountains of all other services whatsoever. May that be our hearts as well. Communion is for believers. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we welcome you to join us at this table of communion. If you need elements, you can find them in the back of the room. And as we remember the Lord Jesus Christ today, we're going to read from Mark chapter 14, verses 33 to 36. Mark writes, And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Jesus was thinking about what was about to happen to him. The weight of sin was going to be upon him. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. The Lord Jesus Christ prayed that there would be some other way, but as we know, there was no other way. He had to go to the cross, and he did not deter. He did not flinch back. He didn't stop. He went to the cross, and we are here as a result of what he has done, and we are participating in communion. Why? Because of what Jesus did.